Socks on 35th is next. Doors open on the left. How's it going, everybody? My name is Duke Coffin, and welcome to the Sox on 35th Podcast. We are back with another exciting episode covering your Chicago White Sox. As always, I'm joined by our panelist, Nick Auer. Jordan Lazaski is out this week. But I, we are also joined by Sox on 35th contributor, Tommy Gross. Gentlemen, how are we doing this week? Doing good. I mean, we were just talking before we started recording. It's not a happy time for us Chicago sports fans, but otherwise, can't really complain. Tommy, how are you? Doing good. I mean, same thing. You know, we thought that the Bears would be uh, the escape from the White Sox, and it doesn't look like it. So sad times to be Chicago sports fan for sure. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, it is absolutely brutal to watch watch the Chicago Bears on Sundays, and Sundays are supposed to be kind of that getaway day to really just sit around, enjoy your day, maybe hang out with the family, and uh, you know, at least watch a competitive football team. But we've just uh, we've just been beaten over the head for the last two weeks. Uh, so, Tommy, um, if you could just give us a little bit of something here quick. How long have you been with the website? Um, right now, I, it's probably just coming up on two years. I started in September of 2021, started writing. And uh, right when we were kind of going into the playoff push. Uh, and and uh, so, yeah, I've been doing this for two years. That's cool, man. I always like uh, always like learning a little bit about uh, our contributors as we bring you guys on the podcast. I'm sure I'll learn a little bit more as we get the podcast going. Um, but before we get started, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcast. Also, be sure to check out the website at SoxOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at SoxOn35th. So, Tommy, before we jump totally into like talking about this terrible baseball team, um, just to get a little bit of background, obviously you just, you know, you just said you'd been here about two years. What made you a White Sox fan? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because I don't really know. The origin story is kind of iffy. It was, uh, so both of my parents are Cubs fans. Um, and most of my family, I live on, I'm from the uh, Northwest suburbs. So on the North side, it was kind of, I was supposed to be a Cub fan, but uh, my neighbors took me to some games when I was younger. And then my cousin who's a Sox fan took me to games when I was younger and the tickets were cheaper. Uh, so we went to guaranteed rate when it was us cellular back then. And I uh, just went to that ballpark more. And then when I started becoming more into sports, when I was like around 10 years old, the Sox were a better team. They won recently, uh, in 05. So when I was about 2010, I started picking them up and and liking them and kind of just went through it for there. So I got a lot of, uh, me and my mom kind of butt heads a lot. because She's a big cub fan and she says to everybody, she doesn't know where she went wrong. Uh, I say, you know, uh, it was all, it was all good until the 2016 world series. And then it's, it's been, uh, it's been tough, but yeah. So just kind of neighbors brought me to games and started loving them since then. Yeah, no, that's super cool. I always like, uh, always like hearing the different origin stories. I mean, you know, you always hear about the people who, you know, they had family that were that were on the south side. Either you were born on the south side, you know, even the owner of our company like has like the coolest origin story that you would not even imagine somebody to be that into the White Sox with, you know, with Joe. Um, so I always like hearing the different stories. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's cool, man. So jumping, jumping right in. So for anybody who hasn't been paying attention um and i mean to be paying attention to the white Sox at this point is kind of a clown show um 
the pod's really been talking about, um, especially last week, we were talking about kind of the managerial side of things, and we were talking about what we were looking at going into 2024 with another year of Pedro Fall. So as we move forward, we're going to start looking at a couple of the other things here, more or less the players on the field and how this team will kind of shape up moving into next year. Um, Nick, I'll let you start with this. Uh, you know, pretty polarizing question around the fan base right now and really anybody who covers this team. Um, Tim Anderson. I know he's been discussed on this podcast before we've discussed uh, what, what we could potentially do with that. Um, We've talked about, you know, when, when his best valuation is in trades, we've talked about whether we just let him walk. There's a lot of, there's a lot that really goes into this. Um, And obviously Chris Getz has been nothing but respectful whenever he's brought him up. Um, He has a $14 million option next year. Just you personally, would you pick it up? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a weird situation because you have obviously a very talented player who has been very bad this year and frankly, the second half of the last year as well. And at the same time, you have, as we've been talking about on prior episodes, Chris Getz and Pedro Grifol are in complete lockstep when they say this team is going to compete next year. It's not a rebuilding year, blah, blah, blah. We've talked about how that's very unrealistic, but either way... And I know this, I mean, I don't know about YouTube, but I know based on what I read online, it seems like this is the unpopular opinion. I would pick up the option because for, for, for a few reasons. First, there's a lot of money coming off the books uh, this winter. And even if not all of it's going to be put back on, they're obviously going to add a little bit at least. And I don't think that there are that many great options out there on the free agent market that are worth paying a lot of money this year. So it's like, if you're going to spend money, you know, this is one way to achieve that. And the second reason, it's not just about the financial side, but from a performance standpoint, I think on the the downside is you pick up the option, Tim Anderson comes in next year on a contract year, and he's awful again. That's not, you know, that doesn't help anybody. But on the flip side, if he comes in next year, you pick up the option and he's good, then you have two options. You can either, you know, play it out, let him be your starting shortstop the whole year. And, you know, maybe, maybe the team does contend. I wouldn't, you know, count on that, but maybe they do. But then you have the option to trade him at the deadline for, you know, probably a top 100 prospect headliner. If he's the normal Tim Anderson, even two months of him would get that. And then you, you know, hand the reins over to Colson Montgomery or a stopgap or whomever. So there's upside there. Of course, the the counter argument would be it's $14 million. That's a lot of money for someone who might not be good and someone who you might get a good return for the trade deadline. But overall, I just still believe in him as as a player. I don't think he lost all of his ability in one season, and I think the injuries this year have been under-discussed when you talk about his performance. And sure, there's the off-field stuff. There's the Jose Ramirez fight and all that. And, you know, that's not great. But at the end of the day, I just I just don't think he's a cooked player at this point in his career. Like He's still essentially in his prime, and he's still just as talented as he was a year ago. So I, I just have faith that he'll figure it out. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Basically, uh... I mean, I'd pick up the option personally, $14 million. Uh, It just, I mean, the free agent market for shortstop is just not that good right now. With going in, Tim Anderson on every list is the best available shortstop if the club option isn't picked up anyways. So I would say take it. I mean, you're just bridging. Again, bridging until Colston Montgomery. And it's he's, you know, he's won a batting title. He has a couple all-star appearances. He's Tim Anderson. He's been our guy. He's been our strong shortstop for a long time. And he was like the first big prospect in this, in the kind of failed rebuild. 
But I, I still have a lot of, you know, I have a lot of faith that he turns it around off, off the field and the injuries aren't helping him out this year. Um, so I, I'm kind of like picking it up, running with him at shortstop next year, hoping he bounces back. And uh, and then if he does, you have the option to keep him or just, again, you could trade him at the deadline. Uh, and I feel like that's, you, with trading him at the deadline is you get some good prospects out of him and then just wait until Montgomery comes up. And then if he excels and you don't trade him, then you have a good problem at your hands where you have a good shortstop rising up through the farm system. And then you have Tim Anderson already playing well. And then you could do the maybe possible talked about transition where you move him to second base. Uh, and then you put Colson on every shortstop or whatever it is. Either way, I think you, you pick it up unless you just want to roll, sign Elvis Andrews again and roll with him at shortstop. But if Chris Getz says what he's said, where he, you're contending next year, then I think Tim Anderson's the way to go with it. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we kind of have some consensus here. And Tommy, one of the big points you just brought up there was uh, the good problem to have with having a star at shortstop and having a potential star coming up through the reins, because that was the plan. You know, that was supposed to be the, that was supposed to be the plan was Tim was supposed to be this guy on a year to year basis. And we were going to have Colson Montgomery kind of ascend. So we had a situation where we had so much depth on the, on the middle of the infield that you could even potentially bring up a Colson Montgomery to play a corner if you really needed him to, or even play, even move with Tim to second base and have Colson play shortstop. At least that's what it kind of felt like they were kind of moving towards. Um, you know, I guess the corner idea comes along a little bit more as we've kind of seen. And I, oh, I can't say it lately with how Yoan Mankata has played lately, but with like how the, how the kind of Yoan Mankata contract has played out so far, you kind of see a, a a direct line for Colson to be able to play third base sooner rather than later if Tim was still at shortstop. But outside of this upcoming year, because I think I personally, you know, to answer the question, I think they will pick up Tim's option. Any there's a lot of baseball teams out there that would easily pay Tim Anderson fourteen million dollars next year. Like I, I don't I don't think that's a controversial take whatsoever. Um, so I think you have to take that and, you know, similar to what you guys said, I like the, I like the fact you guys both brought up the trade deadline because I mean, that's the obvious kind of situation. That's, that's where the obvious positive is in this, but you know, we don't know what this team really is going to be doing moving forward with Chris Getz. Um, is this a situation where Tim Anderson kind of looks like his old self and he earns himself another contract on the South side? I don't think that's totally off the table, especially with how glowing Chris Getz spoke about Tim Anderson in his opening press conference, you know, it seems like he has a lot of respect for the player. It's somebody that he's been around for, uh, around quite a while. So, um, yeah, no, obviously I don't think this will be the popular opinion. All three of our opinions will be the popular opinion among the fan base, but I think it's, I think it's the right way you have to go. It's very, it's a very easy contract to take on in the grand scheme of things. Um, if you, if you really want to take another look at this roster next year, it's there's no reason not to bring him back, you know, because he's a guy that we've seen get hot. He even had a little bit of a hot streak this past season. You know, yes, he got knocked out at second base and that was not fantastic at all, you know, and being a national laughing stock, you know, this team just finds a new way every single week. And I can understand like the secondhand embarrassment the fan base feels about it. But at the same time, like, that doesn't take anything away from what he is as a player. It just is a bad situation. That's like saying it's like saying Robin Ventura wasn't one of our best third basemen of all time because Nolan Ryan put him in a freaking <laughs> Nolan Ryan just destroyed his face. Like I I don't know any other way to put it. Yeah, for sure. And I think going on something you just said, Duke, I could definitely see 
if the options picked up. I could see Anderson having, you know, a more normal for him year where he hits, you know, 300, at least with some power, not saying 20 home runs, but even like 10 or 15. And, you know, his defense at least improves to the point where it's the usual to Anderson where it may not be great, but it's at least consistent enough where he's a shortstop. And, you know, Colson Montgomery's come out of the scene and the White Sox do decide, hey, we'll pay Tim Anderson, you know, I mean, I, it would really depend on his performance, but somewhere in the 16 to $20 million a year range to be our second baseman for the next four years with Montgomery at shortstop. Like that wouldn't surprise me at all because I personally think Anderson will be good next year. And I think for as much has been said about him, I think he does like it here in the White Sox like him. So that's one way to keep him. What I'm a little worried about is given that they want to contend next year, if they don't pick the option up for whatever reason, I don't want them to rush Colson Montgomery. I don't want to see him in Chicago in, you know, April or May. Like not which is not a knock on him. He's he's fantastic and he just, you know, finished out a season the other day at double A, I believe, and and did very well there. But he still I mean, because he missed so much time this year, he still probably could benefit from another month or two of double A. And then of course there's triple A. I don't really agree with the idea that you should just skip it as much as he probably could handle it. Like I I'm just tired of seeing guys rushed up to the majors, whether it's the White Sox or other teams. Like look at what the Orioles are doing this year with like Kerstad and Kowser and even Jackson Holiday's not in the majors yet, although he definitely could be. Like they're they're not slow playing guys, I wouldn't say that, but they're being very smart about when to call them up. Like they're not challenging them too much, but they're also not just letting them beat up on competition for too long. They're playing it really well. And that being said, I think for Montgomery next year, the equivalent would be if he if he plays well, having him go to AAA in, you know, like May. And then either having him come up to the majors late in the season or debuting as starting shortstop in 2025. I think one of those two makes more sense, but I'm a little worried they're going to jump and come with him because they want to contend. And hopefully that wouldn't impede his development in any way. Well, that's that's why it kind of feels like you have to bring Tim in him back because you really don't want that type of scenario especially with your top prospect in the system and one of the top prospects in all of baseball you know it's my my theory on calling guys up as far as like your top prospects in an organization and this goes across any team you know i i kind of say the same thing with the brewers who have been kind of bad with that bad with this in particular as well is if you plan on calling a guy up don't ever plan on sending him back down like you need to be that confident that this guy's that ready um, you, you can't do it by necessity um, unless unless you are a stacked playoff roster and you want this guy to get like a September call up to get get some experience like in a playoff run. Um, St. Louis Cardinals are notorious for that. Um, but that's that's where I am with call ups. You know, I, I agree with you 100 percent. I think I would love to see Colson get at least a month or two next season or three months if he needs it in triple A just to get used to that, because you know, people can say what they want about guys that hit in triple A. Um, it, it's going to be the closest like simulation of major league pitching, maybe on the low end of major league pitching that he's going to be able to get before he's taking major league at bats. Because, you know, let's let's be real, as we've seen with a lot of guys that get called called up a little too soon. Maybe they have a great first week or two. But once uh, once there's a scouting report out there for uh, major league pitchers and major league pitching coaches, it's. It can it can go south very quickly. So I'm hoping I'm with you, Nick. I'm hoping that um, you know even if even if you're not a big fan of Tim Anderson at this point in his career, 
you almost want him to be able to come back. So it, it kind of continues the, the right path for Colson Montgomery getting up to major league level because everybody wants these guys on the major league level because they always see this, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's something that it's something that if you rush it, you're going to really regret it and you're going to end up ruining somebody's development cycle. And uh, you know, I just don't think people understand how precious of a process that really is. It's not as simple. It's not as bare bones. It's, it's a mental, it's a physical, it's a, it's a there's a lot that goes into it i guess the best way i can put it it's just it's not as it's not as straight face as people make it out to be yeah i i agree 100 i i like what you said there where don't call a guy up if you don't plan on sending him down because like you could throw off this whole mental attitude a guy has by just popping him up and be like, oh, you're the starting shortstop for the the White Sox now. Like, this is it. And then he struggles, and then you send him back down. Like, that's just going to ruin somebody's confidence. And I think, yeah, Nick, what you mentioned earlier with what the Orioles are doing, just not rushing these guys in. I mean, they're just clinched, I think, yesterday or two days ago, they just clinched a playoff berth. And they could be one of these teams where, like, we're going to throw up Holiday, and we're going to really make this push right here to try to be the best team because they're trying to win a World Series this year. And uh, they're one of the best teams in the AL. But they're still waiting on Holiday because he's a precious prospect. He's still young. He might be able to make that jump to the MLB, but who knows? Why not let him develop and sit there for a bit? So I think that's what does scare me about the Tim Anderson option, that they're just going to be like, either they're going to pick it up, and then when Tim struggles, they're just like, oh, Montgomery, just throw Montgomery in uh, for the hell of it. But uh, I'm just, that's what worries me a lot about that. So. Again, yeah, let him sit in AAA. And even everyone says, yeah, double A is harder to hit in. So you could do the jump and he probably could, but do it. Go against those like kind of, you know, quadruple A guys that those, for instance, like a Jimmy Lambert, a guy who kind of bounces around a little bit between Charlotte and the MLB team. Like those are guys who have pitched plenty of games in the MLB and that's going to be good exposure for going into the future. So let him sit in Charlotte, play it out, plays well, you know, send him up in September, let him be the... 2025 opening day shortstop there. So I, yeah, I just, I think worrying about when to pull the trigger on pulling up Montgomery can be a little iffy. I think you don't want to do what you did with, with Vaughn and contend and then jump it up and, and have him struggle up there for a bit. So. Yeah, no, it was, it was a real shame kind of, you know, and we just spent a good chunk of our last episode talking about Andrew Vaughn and talking about, you know, the idea of moving on from him. Um, but it, it, at, at the absolute base level, it's just, it's a real shame the way his development cycle went because it was just not the right way to do it. And that's, that's, that's where Chris Getz is really going to have, uh, that's, I think that's going to be his first real big test is you have one of the top prospects in baseball. How is he going to be brought into this situation moving forward? So, um, it's definitely something to watch, but obviously we've talked about Tim Anderson. We've talked about the top prospect in our entire organization, now let's look at let's look a little bit deeper down this line, okay? Um, so looking at the le- rest of the roster, obviously we've brought some guys up to see what you know, get it, give them a look. You know, um, there there uh, there have been a couple that have you know kind of taken advantage of that. Even even uh, the thirty year old wonder Zach Remillard at, at certain times in the season, um, and then you know there are other guys who you know like Alanine Sosa who has shown flashes, but just never seems to get the consistent playing time that he needs to really show if he's going to be a guy or not. 
Um, has there been anybody that's really impressed you this, you know, whether it's recently or over the course of the season who's been brought up or whether they've been called back down since? Um, is there anybody that you think really, if you're building this roster for next year and you're, and you're leaving spring training, somebody that you think should be playing a prominent role on this roster? Tommy, I'll let you take this. Um, yeah, that's an interesting question because it's from the trade deadline on we're seeing just a lot of guys pop up here and again and um uh, there's not a lot of to like so far i mean this team has won like 14 games since or, or i don't even know how many since the trade deadline we just not look good so i mean i think there's some flashes uh he's not a prospect he's 31 years old he's a uh, jose urena i think he i mean he had eight k's last game but like six are in runs so he's the flashes of just getting the ball in the zone. I don't really like him going next year, but he's kind of been uh, somebody who's interesting. Uh, Sosa, I mean, has just failed to develop, to get walks and everything. I mean, you saw the whole, I saw Beeflove tweeting about it, the whole about, oh, oh, we we get to 108 plate appearances without taking a walk this year. And so that worries me a lot. I've seen the pop out of Sosa, but just his ability to, you know, he can't work counts and he's not taking walks. Uh, then Corey Lee defensively has looked all right. And maybe he can be the catcher to just bridge before we get to, uh, Edgar, but, um, not a lot of good looks, not a lot of good looks. I think for me, I would say keep Tukey Toussaint somewhere in the rotation next year, just based on how we have depth and he's shown flashes, but there's not a lot of those young guys that I'm super confident going into next year. Yeah. I'm with you on that. It's been, I mean, I will give the White Sox credit in that at least they're having these young guys up in the majors and giving them a chance here. Whereas I feel that the White Sox of a few years ago in this situation would play like random veterans over them for the most part. That being said, they, yeah, like my answer to this question is also no, nobody has really been that impressive. I was going to bring up Corey Lee's defense, but even then it's like, is it good? Yes. Is it like otherworldly? And like this guy needs to be a permanent, you know, MLB player for us. Not necessarily. He really needs to, at least be somewhat threatening with the bat, I feel like, for him to be a long-term, even even as a, as a backup. And and I do agree, Tommy, that maybe he can just be a bridge until Edgar Carroll is ready, and that could even be next year, potentially, depending on how he develops. But, yeah, it's pretty rough in, in terms of these, these young guys. I mean, not that any of them were that highly touted to begin with, other than, like, Oscar Colas, and obviously he was recently demoted back to AAA. But... Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the one thing I would say is I would like to see, we've kind of seen Lenin Sosa get a little bit more of an extended look this year. I wouldn't hate seeing Jose Rodriguez come up again after the AAA season ends next week and just give him the last dozen or so starts at second base before the season ends, just to see, like, you know, not that that would say anything about whether he could be a long-term player or not, but just to see how he fares against MLB pitching. I mean, he's been up a couple times this year, but didn't get any plate appearances I don't think so I mean I, I just would like to see him a little bit because if next year's a really contending year which again who knows but if that's what they're saying then we might not get a chance to see some of these guys next year because they ideally wouldn't be on the major league roster if you're trying to contend yeah I guess I guess that's where I sit with it guys um and there it's it's three names that have already you know been brought up here um you know, Nick, I think I might be a little bit higher on Corey Lee than you are, um, just just based on the fact that I want to see him get some major league reps. Um, you know, I, I feel like his development cycle in Houston was a little bit shaky, to say say the least. 
Um, it looks like they've been like looking for pop from the catcher position for a while there because Maldonado just really never gave it to him. And it felt like he got rushed just a little bit because, you know, th- this is a guy who was uh, a fairly highly sought after prospect in their organization there for a while and probably a trade ship that they had been kind of hanging around anytime they were looking to go get a, a big name at the trade deadline. Um, so I think uh, I, I, obviously that's fallen off in the last year. Uh, but I think Corey Lee is a guy who can at least hold it down for a while until until you bring up a guy like Edgar Cuero, where um, you can uh, where you can at least have a, a nice little rotation at catcher, you know. And I think that's something that is vastly underrated. Um, it, it I think it's something that we fell into with the Osmani Grandal situation with uh, not really having a legitimate backup to him for the most part, you know, and kind of really forcing him into action. So when he wasn't playing, we were stuck with Sebi Zavala. You know what I mean? And that just was never really a legitimate option for me. So hopefully we, I just like getting younger at the catcher position. And I think going into spring training, I think that's going to be a position to watch. Um, it's, it, I think, I think Lee's going to have every opportunity in the world to win this catcher job. Um, and I'm really interested to see what he does once he's in the organization a little bit, goes into spring training with the idea that he can go win, win a major league job and, and see how he responds to that. Um, Lenin Sosa too. I think that's going to be a guy to watch in spring training. Um, I think he has shown flashes and he's shown enough flashes that he should get an extended look at second base. Um, I think in spring training they're going to have probably about a three man three man rotation there. I I don't think there's any any real scenario where you bring up, bring back Elvis Andrews, you know. And honestly, I don't I don't hate the the locker room guy, but I mean the on field guy just isn't there anymore. And that's just we can't we just cannot justify having him on the roster. So I think we're going to have a legitimate uh, second base competition going into spring training, and really a lot of these spots should be a competition. But I think second base is going to be the one. It's been the polarizing one for as long as I can remember. I mean, we're going back to Tadhito Iguchi days at this point. You know what I mean? Like where the White Sox have had like a, a strong second baseman. And like it's it's kind of been a Band-Aid job every single year. So um, hopefully one of those guys really kind of takes the reins. You know, hopefully we don't run into another Romy Gonzalez situation like we just had to deal with. Um, and Oscar Colas, you know. He he was a guy that, you know, as excited as I was about him coming up at the beginning of the year, and I feel like I speak for a lot of people here, we still weren't totally sure that he was ready. Like, let's 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 be honest. You know, the, the times passed. The uh, the rookie of the year bet didn't pay off. You know what I mean? Like people lost a lot of money on that or maybe they lost a little bit of money. Who knows it, if you with bets like that, you got to bet low and win high. But you never know. Um it, it, it's as simple as, you know, we, we were trying to make that work so badly and like he had a pretty exciting first month if we're, if we're being honest, but like outside of that, like there were so many, there were so many tangible things in his game that were obvious that he was just not major league ready. And we were really trying to kind of force, force a, a round peg into a square hole and it just wasn't working out. So I think that's someone that really is going, hopefully takes this opportunity in triple a or, did take this opportunity at AAA towards the end of the season to kind of uh, get some things right. Hopefully comes into spring training with a clear mind to kind of have an idea that um, he has a chance to win that job if he wants it. Um, he's, I think he's still very highly seen in the organization, but I think he was somebody that desperately needed uh, a reset and um, for forcing Pedro Gafal to just send him out there every day. I don't think was uh, the best, 
the best usage of Oscar Colas this season. I think we should have had a more tangible plan at right field. And I think I speak for a lot of people, even at this website, when I say that, um, no, uh, no, there's a lot of people out there who, uh, have a certain Conforto idea of what should have been the, uh, plan at right field. But yeah, overall, I just, I think those are three guys that you have to go into spring training, keeping a strong eye on. And that's not even bringing up the pitching. And I don't, I don't even want to get into that. Cause I could talk about pitching all day, but, um, yeah, so I mean, it's there. There's there are things to look forward to with this team. As crazy as that sounds, um, do you guys, you know, and Nick, I'll let you just jump on this. Do you? I almost feel like I already know your answer. Do you buy the idea that changes could actually be coming? Like, do you think this team actually goes out there, spends money? Do you think this team potentially sends some of the uh, the core? away in this offseason like do you think chris gets is somebody at winter meetings who shows up in a blue suit and is ready to do business like it do, do do we really believe that i mean yes and no in the sense that they're not going to be not quite the situation you described they're not going to be spending money at the top of the market and going crazy like aj prowler level winter meetings however i do think that they kind of have to make changes just based off of even if they didn't say anything about wanting to contend next year, even if they said, you know, we're keeping our options open, we'll see. They would still, I mean, we, as we've said so many times on this podcast, you're still going to next season with two starting pitchers in your rotation. And one of them is Michael Kopech, who, like, who even knows him at this point. So by nature, you have to add multiple starting pitchers because the guys you have in AAA probably aren't ready. I mean, could they rush like a Nick Nostrini or a Christian Mena? Sure. But I don't think that would be best for their development. And I don't think they'd be very good right away so you kind of have to acquire at least three starting pitchers if you ask me and then in terms of the position players and and due to what you were getting at with shipping out the core it kind of depends because the the core as i understand it is like robert anderson moncada jimenez maybe vaughn and of those guys like obviously you don't want to trade robert if you're trying to contend so then when you limit him it's like moncada like Maybe a team sees how how good he's played over the last you know month and a half or so, and says, okay, he still has it. But when he's owed twenty four or twenty five million next year, that's not like even if he even if the team buys him this performance, that's still not a good contract. So I think they just ride it out with him for one more year, and maybe Brian Ramos or someone takes over after. So the only one I could really see being moved, or only players I should say, would be one of Eloy Jimenez or Andrew Vaughn in some sort of trade to make the team get more athletic or something, or maybe in a trade for a starting pitcher, since there's so many question marks there. I just really don't know. And I think I said this about Vaughn on the last episode, but I just really don't know how you value those guys at this point. Because Vaughn kind of is what he is, like a very average looking first baseman. And Jimenez is, you know, injury questions aside, he had, I mean, he was really, really good last year. Like, one of the best hitters in baseball had he been healthy the whole year. But this year, he's been a lot more pedestrian numbers-wise than he's been healthier, which is good, but the impact has probably been lower than last year just because he hasn't been as powerful with the bat. So I I guess, yeah, I I think change will come. I just don't think it'll be this massive sweeping change where the team looks unrecognizable. Like maybe the starting rotation, yes. But otherwise, from the position player front, you're kind of locked into Moncada for one more year. And, you know, we discussed Anderson. I think you should pick up the option. You know, you're going to have Benintendi and Robert in the outfield. So it kind of just comes down to who they acquire for right field, assuming they go outside of the organization and whether or not they decide to trade someone like him and Azurban. 
Yeah, I mean, it's I I don't really see what the options are at like going into like a major overhaul change. Again, you you Nick, you just said it earlier. Is just Roberts the one guy you don't want to trade, and he's the only one with any value. I mean, again, what do we Eloy? I mean, both these guys are just right above in terms of WRC plus, which is right above a hundred batting this year and and neither can play defense that well even Vaughn struggles at first base a bit and we know he can't play the outfield either so it's you can't trade anybody you can't trade these big name guys for something else so I fear I really hope that they don't decide to get after and start trading some prospects to get major league talent and try to do like that kind of because we want to be contending so it's um, I, I hope we don't do that. And I don't even think we have the farm system to make any major splashes. I mean, I guess you, you trade Noah Schultz or Colson Montgomery or some of these guys to make a splash, but you think you're just digging yourself into a deeper hole. And so, and, I, and then that contradicts completely what you did at the deadline. So uh, I, I'm, I'm confused and we've never given out big free agent contracts either. So I think again, naturally we have to make changes, but um, we, it's, uh, I, I can't see any like major things. I think we're probably just going to keep treading water at this point, just add replacement level guys and then uh, roll with that into next year and then hope that everybody, you know, everybody stays healthy and everybody has a career year. And I think that might just be the plan the off season. Yeah. I mean, I, and I agree with that. I, I think, um, and it, it's hard to say with the leadership change we had in the middle of this, like here in the last like month, um, about what the plan is going into going into the meetings, especially with you know the fact that we traded some guys away to get prospects at the deadline. But how much how much say did Chris Getz have in that situation? You know what I mean. So like, is that where Chris Getz wants to continue to go? Does he want to continue to compile prospects? Does he want to keep the farm system the way it is? You would almost think the farm guy who gets promoted, you'd think he'd he'd have a pretty good eye on what he wants to do with that. Um, or at least try to build that as much as he can, because that's really where you're going to build a winner long term in Major League Baseball. It's it's kind of a proven time tested situation at this point. Um, but at, at the same time, I think I think if you're the Chicago White Sox. Besides, say, like a, besides Luis Robert, you know, like you have to be like given a Shohei Otani type trade package to, to move him at this point. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think you really have to just kind of keep rolling with that. Um, let teams come to you. You know, it, are there teams out there that see, uh, see Yoel Moncada as somebody that they can use as a reclamation project because they have pay, they have plenty of payroll to burn and they need a, they need a third baseman. You know what I mean? Let, let a team come to you about that. Don't, because I feel like with where we are with the core, with the season that we just had, if we desperately try to like ship a guy like even Aloy Jimenez or an Andrew Vaughn, we are going to get the absolute bottom of the barrel is in regards to market value for him. Like we need a team that likes what they see from him or they see something in him that they could use on their roster and, and send a trade off for our way. And I think we see that throughout, uh, all sports, you know, we, we know those trades where a team was desperately just trying to get rid of a guy. And we know those trades where a team was like, okay, I'm really honed in on this dude. Like maybe, maybe we have a GM out there that had Andrew Vaughn on their draft board, super high. You know what I mean? That has been trying to kind of keep an eye on his development cycle. And they're like, you know, the white Sox really screwed him up. If I can get my hands on him and get him in this organization, we could really turn him around. That that's, that's your best bet. 
Because I'm with you, Tommy. I just don't think we can really go into the winter meetings, go into the offseason, and just start really selling the farm, selling the roster. Like, I, I hate to kind of do the status quo of where we're at, but like that just we can't just sell guys below market value just to get it done. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think we're at that point. And um, I think with a leadership change, we've just bought a, a nice new era. And this is the start of a new era. So I don't think you have to rush things genuinely as weird as that sounds. I mean, as a, as a fan, I wish they would as a fan. I wish they'd get aggressive, but just, just if I'm, if I'm trying to put my head in a team building type of mode, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but I think that's where we're going to cut it today. Um, a very good discussion. Very good. Uh, very good white Sox talk. Um, especially considering, <laughs> The fact that we barely talked about what's currently going on with this team on a day-to-day basis because it's just been awful, and who wants to watch the Chicago White Sox at this point? Um, I I couldn't get I couldn't give tickets away, genuinely. <laughs> so, um, Tommy, it it was great for you to join us, buddy. Um, if you could give everybody a rundown of where we can find you, um, as far as like your socials, um, just just so you can get everybody kind of uh, a perspective of where we can get your get your hot takes on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tommy underscore Grow. Uh, mostly just tweeting about how bad the Bears are at this point. But in April, I'll probably just tweet about how bad the White Sox are. So follow me there if you want some hot takes. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a yearly run of just awfulness. I mean, that's that's about where I'm at at this point. You know, just had to survive the 2023 White Sox, and now we get to jump headfirst in the 2023 Chicago Bears. So, um. Yeah, I think that's all we're going to have this week. Uh, Once again, Tommy, thank you for joining us. Um, That's all we have this week for the Sox on 35th podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the website, SoxOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at SoxOn35th to stay up to date with your Chicago White Sox. This has been Duke Coughlin, joined by Tommy Gross and Nick Gower. We will be back next week as we cover another week of White Sox baseball. Two-hit wit is going to be a south side second baseman. And go Sox! All right, whatever you say, go Sox. (laughs) Go Sox.